all hits all the time. We are family. Max double-digit case. We're busting ours to kick yours. Fun to watch. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano, Bobby Blanco, if you're watching us on Masson All Access's Facebook page, you see a beautiful array of uh, nice trinkets, memorabilia, bobbleheads, Bobblehead and figurines. such in front of us. This is the kind of stuff you're missing if you're not watching, if you're just listening. But you can just listen. Say you're driving out on a Sunday afternoon. You want something to listen to. You love baseball. You're a long, ba- long-time baseball fan. Been following the O's since you were born here in 1952. And you just want to listen to a podcast. So you turn on the radio and you turn on SoundCloud. You turn on Spotify. You turn on Apple Podcasts. You turn on Google Play. And you've just got a great, lovely podcast that you can listen to. That was quite the intro, and you're right. And you can follow us on, along all those platforms. Good job, Paul. Thank you. My only thing I would criticize that is I think you said if you were born in 1952, pretty sure the Orioles didn't come to Baltimore until 1954. Yeah. So if you were Whoa. born in 1952, you so could not. So the first two years of your life, you weren't an Orioles fan. Right. right. You're, you're watching Johnny Unitas out there and uh, the play the for the Baltimore That was the only Colts. factual uh, misspoke you had right there. All right. Speak. Well, how many people are actually true fans when they're two years old? I mean, let's be real. I was born and raised. <laughs> I was reared <laughs> as a as a youngster by an Oriole, actually raised you by, it by Oriole birds. If you would have said 1954, that would have been yeah. a flawless intro, but I'll give it a hard A minus. I like to put people in the scene. You know, you, yeah. you, 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 you yeah, paint yeah. a word picture, as yeah. it were, and you put people uh, in the scene. If you, you wouldn't need a word picture, though, if you were watching us, you'd have an actual picture. Right on Facebook Watch, um, Mass on All Access Facebook page. Also be, correct. Yeah, be sure to like and subscribe. Gives us Give us five stars, just mm-hmm. like a, a good old-fashioned Robert Ebert rating. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just just uh, just give us those five stars. Hit that like button on Mass on All Access Facebook or Mass and Orioles Facebook to make sure you get all the notifications for when we are going live for yep. our, our podcast throughout the season. Paul. We, we got uh, plenty to get to today here on the Mass and All Access podcast. We're going to co- talk about good old Johnny Means, how he's been absolutely crushing it all-star level, question mark. Uh, we're going to talk about a certain tweet from a certain national baseball writer that mm-hmm. had something to do with uh, the Baltimore Orioles. Really Bobby's are, gears. Bobby's gears are grinding. Really gets under your skin, really irks your nerves. Yeah, it really does. Um, and uh, we're going to also have, at the end of this podcast, we went to Bowie, Maryland yesterday. Nice, fun trip for Mass and All Access. Talked to seven different guys and also talked to Adam Pohl, who's the broadcaster slash PR slash does, does everything. Uh, awesome, awesome guy, and uh, he knows everything about the Bay Sox, and he knows just about everything about the Orioles' system. Um, he's got a, such a great grasp of every single team in the system, where guys are, what guys' development is like, um, and so we have a conversation with him at the end of this podcast, so stick around for that, too. It's pretty cool because the double A is like the middle ground of the minor league system, like Bowie, because like all the right. guys come up, and they go. They have to go through Bowie right. pretty for the most part to get to Norfolk or or uh, Baltimore, and then also they kind of filter down too because when guys get shifted down to Norfolk, they come back down to Bowie. Yeah. It's kind of like the uh, the filtration system yeah. of of the minor league system. Wow, like an irrigation. Because he just he. I mean, he Adam Poles. He sees them all. He sees yeah. everybody that comes through the. If you are in the Orioles system and you're coming up or get traded into, you're probably going to hit Bowie more likely than not. Uh, they're more likely than any yeah. other of the of the teams or well, the organization. And with this new rebuild that the Orioles are undergoing, there's an increased focus on that because if you're let's be if if you're a fan of a truly contending team like the Orioles have been for the past five years, you're focused on the big league team, and then maybe you're a little focused on the AAA team because right. it's like who are the guys that are right, right about to come up? Maybe there's a stud prospect at AA, but you're never looking below AA. Right. And now with this rebuild, with the fact that they have an Adley Rutschman on the way, they have all these exciting draft picks, the fact that the Delmarva Shorebirds are one of the best teams in baseball and just clinched uh, a great first half and a playoff spot for the second half. That is awesome. So, yeah. the you know, now fans are actually getting invested in the lower levels down to double A and even lower than that, single A and Frederick and such. So that is um, partly why we went down there because well, those are some top prospects yeah, that are on their way. Yeah. And we'll, we'll hear from Adam in a, in a minute, but my favorite part about 
our trips down to the the system, the minor league teams, is like just the general excitement that they, they, the players there share the same excitement yeah. that the fans do about where this team is headed. You know, obviously we knew this year was going to be tough. They know what they're coming into, but they're having just as much fun ex- and and are enjoying competing because we, we've heard a lot of them say, like, and and if you guys missed Paul's show please, from Bowie, please watch it. Mass and all uh, Mass and Orioles, excuse me, Facebook page went live this morning. They're all like no, they're all happy to be here because like it's an op- it's exciting because they have an opportunity to play. They're with an organization that wants them here yeah. for the for the future f- to rebuild. Um, they're all just like I mean it's, it's like a silly phrase, but they're all really excited to be here. Yeah. And and like when we go talk to them, we can see that excitement and, and it's fun to sit down and chat and and see how much they're enjoying going through this system and this rebuild and and playing for for this team right now yeah they they are there are a lot of young talented players too in yeah. addition there yeah. a lot of guys that uh you might have heard their name around the trade deadline last year because they were brought back uh they came back in trades in the kevin gosman trade or the jonathan scope trade or of course the manny machado trade so yeah. there's there's a lot of talent that's on yes, its way up there so stick around for the adam pole interview uh if you're also watching us i am and bobby included but mostly me I would say roughly between the shades of a tomato and a lobster. Yeah. Um, probably in, in between that uh, red, reddish range. Um, I think I look more red. I am so I think my forehead is sunburnt. Red. It's absurd. My neck is, you can't see, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. my neck's pretty, yeah. pretty toasty. Well, you were, you know, you're, you're running the cameras there. That, that sun's hitting in the back yeah. of your neck. I was trying to get some of the upper arm action, but... My polo would not allow it. Yeah, um, brutal. Just, just brutal. I have the, the worst. price we pay. Look, I we know have to get, we have to stand outside and get tanned talking to minor league baseball players. I know, darn, just the worst. I have the uh, like a, a farmer's tan. I've always had that, but I have especially like a watch tan because I just got. That's this why watch I did not wear my watch. Oh, it's brutal. Well, I have your to watch wear it on looks good camera, on camera. Yeah. I know, I know, I know. It looks good on camera. I've but got the skinniest I specifically wrist in the did not world. wear it because yeah. I know. I think I wore it in Delmarva. And I got a pretty gnarly watch yeah. hand, so I was like, I'm going to skip it for a buoy. I'm very self-conscious about my tiny wrists. Like, you could, if you wanted to, Bobby, like, wrap, try That's to wrap your, thing. F- wrap your finger around my wrist. See, oh, you can I do have, it. I have room. I can fit my, look at yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, this is what you're missing if you're not watching the video. <laughs> uh, I have very skinny wrists. Yeah. I don't know if it, and, you know, like, obviously, you know, we I, I could I could use to lift some weights. I don't know if that's really going to help my wrist. Well, I, I use my watch band as, like, um, <laughs> this is so silly. Uh, a measurement for like how I'm doing, like you know, maintaining my weight, weight. or losing weight, okay. like, you yeah. know, and exercising. If my watch, if I can tighten my watch pretty, pretty tight, I've been kind of shredding some lbs, which is a good thing. If it's a little thick and a little tight, all right, gotta get back to the gym, gotta go for a run or something. Maybe cut down off on the Chick Fil A. Shredding some lbs. Yeah, that's the dopest way to say losing weight. <laughs> Thank you. I <laughs> guess. I guess. Um. Yeah, the, uh, but so I have I have a, a sick watch, Dan. Just yeah. sick. So you have to. So now you have to either keep wearing the watch so people can't see it, or ditch it and just try to tan that area can, real quick. Well, my question is, can you like reverse farmer's tan? Is that possible? Like, can you if you like yeah, if you if I go, go out without a and shirt and to, wear shooter sleeves? Right. Do, do I have to like buy shooter sleeves, or should I like wear? Do, how, how can I? What can I be do besides? I'm not going to buy shooter sleeves. And then, no, you can't do it. Or, or get a long sleeve. No, you can't. Or if I just if I just tan evenly, will it even out? Yeah. It That's will? how tanning works. People have done it for millions of years. Okay. Thousands I, yeah. of years. I don't know how long people have been here. <laughs> millions, probably. No. If you go... How like, long have people been you, on the earth? <laughs> you can go... Interns! You have a, <laughs> you have a, a pool at, at your apartment complex, correct? I do. Yeah. Go lie by the pool without a shirt, without your watch. Oh, are you sure about this? Yes. Put on suntan lotion. <laughs> if you put on lotion, your already tanned areas will not tan. Am as I putting much on lotion just on the tanned no, areas? No, no, the entire entire. Okay. That's how suntan lotion works. Apparently, right? Hannah, Anna is shaking. Hannah is shaking her head behind the scenes. So this is apparently incompletely incorrect. But I feel like if you just wear the suntan lotion your entire body, including this already burned places, yeah, the burned or tan places will not burn as much. They probably reach their max tan. Yeah. Right, but you know your max. Paler, okay, it can only be, hit a max tan. I mean, your skin can only get so dark. It's just in your DNA. I, okay, I, I don't like. think I've maxed my tan by any stretch. Though. Okay, well then it will continue. But then your paler parts will tan at a higher rate. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. This is science. Yeah. This really is science. Hannah's nodding her head. Or she, I'm correct. No, nope, what I'm going to do is, oh, no. is go to the gym, buy two shooter sleeves, 
and uh, just just wail on some kids and just not wear a shirt and just dominate some <laughs> kids. At game the game seven or game six tonight. <laughs> game six tonight. Let's. Uh, Cool. Right. I imagine. I imagine you being like uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman in a long time. Poly. <laughs> Raindrops. Yeah, and just hitting the back of the back. I actually. So fun fact. I don't know if I've. T- I've definitely told that this story on this podcast before. So I, when I was in college, uh, I played on the worst intramural basketball team of all time. It was me and my friends, uh, who were none of whom were athletic. Um, and we, every single game, we won two games in four years, and those two happened to be by forfeit because the other team didn't show up <laughs> because they were probably out partying and such, not doing this stupid thing. And uh, we, so every other game, we got mercy ruled, which is you're losing by 25 with 10 minutes left in the game. Dang. Every single game. And this was the lowest level, so we were terrible. So I was actually good, which you know tells you how good the team was. I was actually one of the better players, if All not right. the best player, I'm going to go ahead and say. Good so anyway, one time I had late class. Uh, I, I'm missing the first part of the game. I sprint to the gym. My friend's like, dude, he was texting me. He's like, dude, we're down like 18, like 15 minutes left. We really need to not get Mercy World this game. So I, I sprint to the gym. I get there. My friends see me. They're freaking out, you know, fresh legs. I come into the game. First possession, I get the ball. I'm feeling it. They leave me wide open top of the key. And the ball hits the top of the backboard. <laughs> I kid you not. I felt and as it was going from my hand, I was like, that's in. I felt I thought there was oh, a 100% buckets. chance. That is wet. I was so confident, and it hit literally the top of the backboard. It was like came back to me. I could almost get my rebound. Is that worse than like when you had the same feeling? Oh, this is going to be nothing but net. And it's nothing but net, but on the outside, (laughs) like (laughs) you you leave it short. Yeah. 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 And it's just like, ah. Yeah. That was. uh, I feel like then you're like Michael Scott in the office basketball. But you're like, yeah. All right. You you can also go with the strategy, my friend, with the strategy of he got his first possession, he gets the ball, hits a three, and then every other time he gets the ball, did not shoot once because he wanted to end the game with 100%. <laughs> no one was yeah. keeping stats. Yeah, right. Well, also, what kind of teammate is that? Yeah. You're just worried about your own individual We were literally stats. shouting at him to shoot the ball, and he's like, I can't! <laughs> uh, so that's what goes on at Intermirrors at Syracuse. All right, cool. Yeah. Um, gotcha. At least in the lower levels. All, All right. right. So uh, switch th- back to the diamond? Yeah, let's talk about Johnny Means. All right. I don't know why I'm adding he means business. Why, but he does certainly does mean business. Uh, he has been awesome. 2.60 ERA. He's And it's not like it's a small sample size. So it's interesting. He actually doesn't qualify according to like most MLB, like MLB.com. He doesn't have enough innings technically. I think the cutoff is 70 innings, but he's just short of that. So he's 65 and two-thirds, which is actually the third most on the Orioles at this point. Um, but he's got a two six zero ERA in eleven starts, so that's that's almost as many as you know a regular starter at this point. Uh, and he's appeared in fifteen games, so he's got a pretty big sample size at this point. Um, his ERA would be if he had qualified tenth in baseball, just below Justin Verlander, who's eight, and Mike Miner with the the Rangers, who's having an awesome year at nine, wow. and just above um, Spencer Turnbull, Zach Eflin, and Max Scherzer. Dang, incredible. Yeah. This guy has been incredible. Yeah. Out of, literally out of, I mean, out of nowhere. Like, I remember spring training, Rockabaco talking about it was surprising that he was even in the discussion to be in the rotation. Yeah. Now John Means is the most reliable Orioles pitcher. Right I now. mean, it's, it's like, where did this guy come from? Yeah. We saw him one time last year at the end of the season, and then he comes into spring training, and, you know, he's starting to make a name for himself, kind of putting his name on. Like, he wasn't one of, like, when you think of, Top Orioles pitching prospects. Hunter Harvey comes to mind. Uh, Zach Lowther, who we'll talk about with Adam Pohl later. Um, even uh, guys like Grayson Rodriguez down in, in uh, Delmarva. Yeah. Deal Hall. Deal Hall. John Means, not really on the radar. Yeah. And now he's coming up and having the best season out of anyone in this rotation in terms of numbers. I mean, uh, his ERA is by far the best. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it's also crazy that he's doing it by not throwing really high heat. You yeah, know, he's not. This is a day and age in baseball. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much with our conversation with Adam coming up, but you know, everyone wants to throw high heat. Everyone wants to throw strikes. Strikeouts are sexy, but John Means is living and dying by his changeup and and his deception, and is able to place that pitch in the strike zone wherever he wants and get guys to chase. It's pretty impressive for a rookie pitcher to be doing this. Um, and it, it's also kind of a shame that the team and the pitching staff as a whole isn't doing quite well, mm. and it's kind of getting buried. Um, in a national 
scope. But here in Baltimore, everyone, you know, John, it's almost coming to a point where John, when John Means starts, it's like John Means Day. Like yeah. Everyone's tuning in to Madison to watch John Means pitch because he's that exciting. Well, and he's really snuck up on us because, you know, pretty much a, a couple weeks ago, I remember having a conversation about, you know, we talked on this podcast about the only other, like, guy that you can look at besides Trey Mancini to be an all-star was maybe a Dwight Smith Jr. who's now on the injured list. Beyond that, Chris Davis is weirdly 10th amongst first first basemen. But beyond that, there wasn't a whole lot going on. And for John Means, all of a sudden, granted, still only technically doesn't qualify by a lot of stats for a certain, you know, and I I don't think at this point he would have to do a lot in the next few weeks to um, get an all-star nod, but he's pitching at an all-star level. Yeah, um, he is. He really is. And and well, I guess there's no qualifications for all star in terms of pitcher. Like he doesn't have to meet right. a certain innings to qualify for it to be an all star. Well, it's right? it's. We, I mean, the pitching thing is. I never fully understood why it's why pitching is not on the ballot. Yeah, I never really got that. I mean, maybe there's an idea. Uh, there's probably some reason. I guess because it. well, because you have to split pitchers into starters and relievers. Yeah, so like the the manager picks and those them. numbers fluctuate differently based on whether you're a starter or a reliever. Yeah, yeah. So like it's yeah, it's, it's a little tricky. But any, any, anywho, like I think the one thing that maybe might go against John Means in this All Star case, and I'm with you. I'm 100 percent with you that he is definitely qualified. I'm, again, guessing that because he plays for the Orioles and the Orioles aren't yeah, that great, exactly. he's not going to make it. He's also a rookie. Yeah. But I think his numbers speak for themselves. And in terms of qualifying, he should be at least considered. But I think the one thing that can go against him is is he doesn't go deep into games. You know, you look at yeah. the innings, he goes five, six, six, five. Um, you know, he's only gotten gone seven once this whole season. Yeah. Um, he just doesn't accumulate innings at a rate like other guys have yep. or, or, or and are so that's probably the one thing and like the, the sh- again the strikeouts he doesn't yeah, strike he, out too much no um he is second on the team with 57 but you know his career high is seven yeah and he's averaging probably around like four or five a game right if less so yeah. that's probably the one case against him but again i'm with you i think he is definitely deserved it and and would love to see him in cleveland and it, it would be pretty cool if the Orioles could be able to get two guys in the All-Star game, considering yeah. where the team is at right now. Exactly. Um, he's just been a revelation for them. Awesome to see um, as he continues. Bobby, I hear you have something you want to talk about um, in terms of a tweet. Yeah. Um, so I am sure everyone, I mean, because it kind of went viral over that day. I believe this was, let's see, I'm going to check the date. It was June 7th at uh, around 10 a.m. So that was last week. And... John Heyman tweeting, I feel sorry. Let's right, right here if you're watching on Facebook Live. I feel sorry for guys and gals covering the Orioles. At least the other bad teams have some redeeming qualities. There is just nothing to say there now that the draft is over. 99 games to go, too. I mean, can you politely and quietly go away? Like, what? What? Let me tell you something, John Heyman, about your little dog and pony act you call reporting. Um, you get what? One or two things right a season? There you are. One or two things right a season, congratulations. And you're, you feel the need to pick on us, on this team, on this fan base? What, what, why? 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 I feel sorry for you that you have to go pick on the, one of the lowest teams in baseball, a franchise that's clearly going through a rebuild, a franchise that is doing everything the right way, that people have been clamoring for them to do it this way, and you just need retweet, retweets and likes? Like, Go like go and nothing to go on about. We just talked about how great John Means has been. How how great of a story is that? A rookie going with an ERA under three. Trey Mancini having one of the best seasons that Oriole ha- has had in a long time. Dwight Smith Jr., Renato Nunez, Jonathan Villar playing at a high level for their careers. Like yeah. they need either to get re-signed or to get tr- become trade pieces or get a new contract. Like what are you talking about? This is one of the most interesting teams in baseball, in my opinion, because of all the different individual stories that are happening here and the greater scheme of things of like, hey, Michael Elias and Brandon Hyde have a long-term plan that they're putting together, and they're, in my opinion, executing it very correctly. So we don't need your pity here in Baltimore. We, we thank you, but we don't need it. Why don't you go off and try to report on something that probably won't happen in, in, in the meantime and, and keep getting throwing stuff at the wall and hoping you get it right. Thanks, John Heyman, but no thanks. Wow. I mean, it's just so annoying. Like... You're a national reporter, and you're going to pick on the lowest of the low? Yeah. Like, Yeah, we don't need your pity. What? what yeah. We literally don't need your pity. And then what was awesome was Richie Martin Jr. coming out the next day like in a post-game interview with Sarah Perlman after a, a big win over the Astros. 
and being like, hey, we know what we have in this ball club. We're, 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 we have everything going. We try hard every single day. We're having fun doing it. Brandon Hyde has gone on record multiple times saying, I love the way our guys compete. I love the guys that we have in here. They're going out every single day and trying their best, and, and they know what they're playing for. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's not a, the, they're not the best team to watch, but they're still a fun team to watch because of their effort and, and what these individual stories mean. Richie Martin Jr., another guy, a Rule 5 pick who is starting to get his bat to come around, who is staying in this lineup because of how well he plays defense. I mean, yeah, yeah we don't need your pity. And it, it, it assumes that fans or the people covering the team don't know what's going on here right. and don't appreciate the strategy that is going on here. Um, it's... I think I would almost, if you're going to feel bad for anybody, and I don't think you should feel bad for anybody covering baseball right now. Right. Um, I think most people would kill to cover baseball. A lot of a lot of people would. Um, but, I, I mean, the the Orioles would obviously be in a, I, I think, and I think a lot of fans would agree with me, if they were a mediocre team, a middling team with an extremely high payroll, then you would be in a much, much tougher spot. Yeah. Because you were then you were a middle of the road team without a true plan, without a path to contention, without a way to get better because you have too much on your salary books, you don't have enough high picks. The Orioles have built a system here in which they are going to systematically bring in talent via the draft, via international free agency, via trades, and via prospects. The Orioles have a plan, they have a, a blueprint for how they're going to get back to succeeding. The, the individual games, the, the result of the individual games might not matter quite as much as in, in previous years, but there is so much more interesting stuff that's happening behind the scenes. July 2nd, the first day of international free agency starting, has never been an interesting day for the Orioles. It's never been an important day for the Orioles. They've never valued it. This year, Michael Elias is putting so much more importance on it. He's making a T-shirt that says G- J- July 2nd, yeah. international free agency is yeah. starting. He is saying this is going to be the best international free agent signing period of Orioles history. Yeah. He is is placing emphasis on it. Fans are getting excited for it. I've never seen uh, a baseball fan base as pumped up for a draft as Orioles fans were for the number one overall pick. There back on parties across the city. I've never seen that happen for a, a, a baseball fan base. Yeah. And it shows the dedication that we all know is there with Orioles fans. And it shows that... There are <laughs> baseball is a year-round sport, like like the NBA, like the NFL. Now, it is, and there are going to be fascinating days throughout the season. Interesting things that the trade deadline is going to be a, an awesome, exciting day. Yeah, for Orioles fans because they're going to have a chance potentially to bring in young, exciting prospects. Yeah. There, there is so much more to look forward to than just. The wins and losses. It's it's never been just about the wins and losses. There are store, so many interesting storylines yeah. with every team in baseball that to just say, oh, this team is losing, so they're not interesting. Yeah. That's never been the case. Yeah. That's never been the case with any team. And do you think um, Rakubako needs your pity? I mean, he's the one of the most respected writers in the country yeah, yeah. and definitely on the Orioles beat for a long time. He gets yeah. 1,200 comments on his daily posts every single day. Yeah. When was the last time you got 1,200 comments on one of your things you written, John Heyman? Uh, you think Dan Connolly needs your pity? He yeah. just flew out to Oregon and had a phenomenal in-depth piece on the number one overall pick yeah. in Allie Rutschman. Did you do that, John Heyman? No. Didn't think so. Uh, do you think Sarah Parman needs your pity? She just went from sitting at that desk over there to she made a job for herself yeah. as asylum reporter for Masson for the Orioles. Do you think she needs your pity? I mean, it's it's just unbelievable that he thought that you know he could get likes and retweets and attention just by saying that. Yeah. And and it's, and and you know what? I am done giving it attention. Let's yeah. let's move on because yeah. it, you know by us continuing to talk about it, we're giving him what he wants. I just needed to say a couple couple words on it because it was really really upsetting for yeah. someone who covers the team and is a fan of the team. Um, it was just like it was a stupid. Don't tweet. I don't I don't need this. It was a stupid tweet. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, he needs to know how wrong he is. Um, it was it was just dumb. Okay. It was just dumb, and he has rightly gotten uh, dunked on. For yeah, it by yeah, many. and then boom. Yep, end of segment. Let's um, move on, Bobby. You got one more segment. Yeah, for one more us segment. Before we get um, to Adam Pole. We uh, skipped on uh, ain't baseball great last week uh, because uh, we were talking about obviously the draft and Allie Rushman and all the excitement. Um, but Paul, I'm, and I'm sure you saw this because it was everywhere. Mm-hmm. But we have to talk about. Kumar Rocker throwing a 19 strikeout no hitter in an elimination game in the nuts. Super Regionals 
of uh, the College World Series for Vanderbilt. They're down facing Duke. He He's a freshman, a freshman right-handed pitcher. Could you imagine? Like, what's more exciting? Like, we've seen uh, – we've covered a 20-strikeout game in Max Scherzer here at Masson. We've seen no-hitters. We've seen, uh, like, incredible accomplishments by individual players. Have you – I can't think of anything that comes to mind. Just think of the, the situation. A freshman pitcher striking out 19 in a no-hitter in an elimination game yeah, for one yeah. of the top programs in the country. You got guys like David Price tweeting at him. You got yeah. guys, Vanderbilt alum. Vanderbilt has an extensive uh, baseball alumni system. They do. I mean, it was just an incredible performance. And then Vanderbilt goes on to win the, that series and move on in the tournament. And uh, I have gotten – I have was never really in – guy that was interested in college baseball mm-hmm. um and the fact that the orioles had such a big draft an important draft i've gotten um much more interested in college baseball over the past couple months than i ever have been um and so uh i think this is going to be it, it, stuff like wa- like watching and taking in college baseball and learning about these guys i think is going to be something that orioles fans are going to start to um, to look forward to and to yeah. pay more attention to because I'm, I'm starting to pay more attention to something like that, which is an incredible, incredible performance. Yeah, yeah. First ever no-hitter in the Super Regionals. The MLB record for strikeouts in a no-hitter is 17. Max Scherzer in 2015 and Nolan Ryan in 1973. So he beat them by two. Um, again, the fact that he was a freshman is just... And essentially in a playoff game. I mean, there have only been two no yeah, it was a playoff. I mean, no it was an elimination. In, if they lose yeah. that game, they're out. Yeah. yeah, and there have only been two playoff no hitters in Major League Baseball history. Right. So. Yeah, and, and I, I guess you can't like nineteen strikeouts by itself is incredible. A no hitter by itself yeah. is incredible. Put them together, amazing, like amazing. And then by I just can't get over it. he's yeah. what nineteen years old. That's mm-hmm. just good for him. I and mean, that's that's awesome. That is something he will never forget. Those teammates will never forget. That fan base will never forget because. Yeah. I mean, I'll know. I remember exactly where I was when I saw that uh, come across the bottom line uh, on ESPN. So that's that's pretty cool. Congratulations to uh, Kumar Rocker. So ain't baseball great? Ain't baseball great? What else we got, Bobby? Um, <laughs> I think that's that's pretty much it. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think that's the highlight. I think the other stuff I had written down was not worthy of uh, comparing to the the wow. Kumar Rocker. All right. Yeah, I, I'm good with that. Let's leave that for now. Let's just leave it at that, yeah. and let's go to Adam Pohl, Bowie Bay Sox broadcaster. Uh, when our we went down and got so sunburnt, we did get to catch up with Adam. He had a lot of interesting things to say about uh, the Orioles organization, and he knows this Bowie Bay Sox team in and out. Friend of the program. He was on the podcast last year, and uh, it was good to sit down and talk with him as we were uh, just uh, – he went, we went through the whole system, the whole yeah. but not just the Bowie Bay Sox, the whole system. So great interview by Adam. Take a look. We're sitting down on the Mass and All Access podcast in Bowie, Maryland, inside the Bowie dugout with Adam Pohl, the broadcaster for the Bowie Bay Sox. Thanks, Adam, for sitting down and talking about Bowie. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me. It's uh, quite a... Quite a, we had you on the podcast, and Bobby. Well, he's back again. He was on the podcast last last year when uh, they made all the trades and kind of uh, evaluating the talent they got, uh, the Orioles, from using Diaz all the way down. So, yeah, thanks for joining us again. Most definitely. Thank you guys for having me. You guys got a huge shakeup, speaking of the trades, in the middle of last year where it was an influx of talent being thrown right into the Bowie Bay Sox. Now you've kind of had a little bit more time to sort these guys out and to get a, a good look at these guys. In terms of those trades and the, the guys that you have seen, um, you know, Yosniel Diaz was obviously a big guy coming back in one of those trades. Sure. Um, what have you seen from, from those guys? Who has stuck out to you? Bruce Zimmerman, who's starting tonight, uh, is another guy who's, who's been great. Who has stuck out to you of those guys? Yeah, first of all, just to, to see the scope of the change, you know, yeah. this is a 25-man roster. Uh, the Orioles traded for 15 players, yeah. and seven of them came to the Bay Sox. So... Uh, literally half of the hall per se came to Bowie, mm-hmm. and but you you have players that were already here, right? So it it was an enormous change, and uh, to be honest, it, it was ushering in a way in this new Michael Elias era of of what our Double A baseball team and organization is going to be. The yeah. Orioles generally uh, were an organization that that had an older Double A team. The Bay Sox. Uh, were constituted of uh, maybe half the team would be players that have played in another organization before. A lot of guys, the average AA player is 24 years old. So a lot of the guys would be guys that'd be 25 to 28 years old mm. on the base sucks. And you, you had your prospects. You know, you might have five to eight guys uh, that are younger, 
and and that that are really being talked about a lot. But now, it's very different. Yeah. I mean, the Bay Sox are, are uh, on the younger side as far as teams in the league. Um, when you look at the roster of this ball club, it's a lot of guys that are between 21 and 23 years old. And uh, and I think it's going to be that way going forward. You're not going to see the Orioles signing as many free agents in the offseason that are minor league guys to fill double and triple A spots. It's more going to be filled from within, and, and that's exciting. So, uh, as far as guys that are here, um, you know, obviously uh, Dean Kramer uh, is a starting pitcher. Uh, he had an oblique strain to start this year, struggled with Bowie in his first three starts. Uh, here this past week, he's had really kind of that breakout game, seven shutout innings, eight strikeouts. He was a lower drafted guy that has, has exceeded expectations mm -hmm. in the pro levels. Uh, last year he led all of minor league baseball in strikeouts. So yeah. he's a high spin rate guy <laughs> in the parlance of our times. Uh, that, that's got people really, really excited. Mm -hmm. um, uh, obviously, Yusniel Diaz has been here. He hasn't had great success in Bowie yeah. as of yet consistently. You can see it, though. I mean, he hits the ball hard. He's got a big-time pop as far as, uh, you know, he's a line drive hitter. He's an all-field hitter. He's got a great arm in right field. He's kind of a prototypical right fielder. But, but, um, but the hope is that, you know, he's, he's a guy that can show those tools off more consistently yeah. uh, here in, in what is the second half of the season. He, he's battled a hamstring strain early on this year that, that took away about a month of his year. Uh, and then, of course, Ryland Bannon is in that same trade. It, really an exciting ball player. He, he's not a big guy. Um, he, he's just so quick. I mean, he's an outstanding defensive infielder, especially as a third baseman, uh, and he's hit very well with Bowie. Changed from a very wide open stance to a more traditional approach this year, and he's hitting for a higher average, a little bit less power, uh, but uh, he's been a middle of the order hitter for Bowie. So that, that's just for the Dodgers trade alone. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. uh, you know, the, there, there's a lot of new faces in the system, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and then a lot of guys that are, are, are of course, on their progression up through the Orioles system yeah. that have merged together to make a very talented team. Nice. Have, how does, going back to the roster as a whole, how does, yeah. have you seen like the cohesion between the guys that have been here and the guys that just came in? Because now we're about a year into these guys who came in from last year being with the Bay Sox and in the system. Right. But then there are also guys who have been here, they worked their way up, were drafted or whatever, and, and signed that have been here in single A and worked their way up to double A. How, now with a year under their belt, how they've kind of cohesed together as a team? It's a good question. I, I think it's gone really well. Uh, last year was a little bit interesting. I think it was easier for the Dodgers guys because we got four players. Zach Pop is another one, and he's yeah. injured right now, uh, that came over in the trade. So they kind of came over as a collective unit. Mm -hmm. But Dylan Tate came to the Bay Sox from the Zach Britton trade from the Yankees, and he didn't know anybody. Right. You know? So, so that was a little bit tougher. And, and just this season, seeing him interact with everybody, it's night and day. Um, and, and then, of course, there's also the guys in the Braves trade for the Bay Sox. That would be uh, Bruce Zimmerman and also uh, our catcher in, in Cunningham. So, uh, you know, you, you put this, or in Cumberland, that is, uh, Brett Cumberland. So you put this all together. And, um, and and at this point, there it's it's very cohesive right. in that regard. Uh, altogether, though, in, in a different way, the Bay Sox once again were a lot of guys that that were of varying ages, and now right. almost everybody on the club is within two years age difference. So I, I think that's led to to the team being pretty close Tom this Bonner year. More, yeah. Yes, yeah. first year under Buck Britton. He stayed in this organization. He got drafted by this organization right. yeah. over a decade ago, and now he's moved his way up the the chain of command. And especially because you know, obviously with Mike Elias and the new change at the top, you thought maybe they'll bring in their own guys, but they just ended up promoting from within. Mm -hmm. We've heard great stuff about what Buck Britton did at the lower levels. Now that he's gotten to Bowie and you've gotten to see him firsthand, what are your impressions of the first year manager here? Guy, he's so young, it makes me feel old. <laughs> yeah, I know. And Buck is the yeah. first ever Bay Sox manager that's a former Bay Sox player. That's and awesome. my first year with Bowie in 2014, I was with Buck and Frederick mm -hmm. on his way up. But my first year in Bowie, Buck was the grizzled veteran on the Bay Sox <laughs> uh -huh. uh, in 2014. He's just, you know, he, he's a guy that uh, keeps it light. He's, he's a lot of fun. Obviously, it's almost a new age manager, you know? I mean, you see so many guys in the big leagues with Brandon Hyde being one of them that are, you know, in their early 40s when this used to be, uh, when you looked at the majority of major league managers back even 10 years ago, they might be in their 60s. Yeah, it was an old man job. Exactly, <laughs> so Buck Britton is in his 30s and it's, it's really a great opportunity for him. Yeah. 
and um, I, I think the Orioles have seen him as, as a real rising star. I mean, he's a great personality. Has, it was a ball player that really over-exceeded expectations, which is funny because Zach Britton was a big prospect. Buck is his older brother, but yeah. Buck was not. I mean, Buck was a guy that, uh, you know, most guys that are drafted where Buck was, in, I think he was like a 35th round draft choice. I mean, they don't make it to AAA and have a long minor league career. So yeah. he had a very successful career. He was really a gamer. He was actually even a better hitter than a fielder as a ball player. He was he was a great hitter for average, and um, and I, I just think that the Orioles saw his level of leadership on his way up, yeah. and, and pinpointed him as a guy that they'd love to have in the system long term. I think it's great that he is that young, and especially in the minor league system, he's able to, you know, communicate and relate to these guys. He's been here before, right? Right. So, yeah. But how has he been able to? Because at the major league club with Michael Elias, Brandon Hyde. The statistical data, mm-hmm. like the sabermetrics and all that hard analytics stuff, is becoming a big thing with them Certainly. in Baltimore. How has Buck and, and this team kind of embraced that, and then how has he been able to also communicate those numbers and that data to the players? So Buck individually was very involved with the major league staff during spring training, and I think that was very important. Mm-hmm. But it really goes beyond that. I mean, there are two people that work here with the Bay Sox day in and day out that are just on the analytical side. Uh, that isn't a change, though, to be honest. Okay. But but their data uh, that they're using and how they operate it is very different. From what I've been told, really, in a way, the pitching is ahead of the hitting as hmm. far as uh, the kind of data that is given. So as a pitcher, um, uh, even how they approach hitters, it's not just... Um, these high-speed cameras that are able to detail and really let you evaluate your mechanics more so. Mm-hmm. It's even down to the point of, okay, I'm a right-handed pitcher and I'm a fastball, curveball, changeup mix, and with what I throw, these are the different patterns of pitches that I should use to better benefit me against, let's say, a left-handed hitter. Right. So it's even down to that level, which means that uh, the, the pitchers in the system, I feel like, feel more prepared this season. They feel like they have uh, a better game plan um, as far as how to approach certain situations and go after uh, different hitters. And you're seeing that strikeouts per nine innings throughout the minor leagues and the Orioles organization is really, really on the rise. Yeah. So so that is exciting. And you put that together with the fact that the Orioles have basically spent the last three drafts prior to 2019 almost exclusively in the high rounds on pitching. Right. A lot of the people that we talked about in these trades, whether it was Kramer or Zimmerman or Tate, uh, or then of course the higher levels guys like Ortiz, you know, uh, these are, they traded for a lot of pitchers as well. Mm-hmm. So, so the, it's putting together a lot of pitching depth in the organization. On the hitting side, they're using these black Glass motion um, sensors on their bats, um, and they're accruing a ton of data. And the hope is that um, once you get now, we're getting to the point of the year where about halfway through the year, they've had these things in their bats for so many swings that now they can start to look at the swing patterns and really use that data wow. uh, to start, uh, you know, I don't want to say tweaking things, but per se, that I, mean, I guess that's what it is. Yeah. You know, hey, you're doing this, maybe you should be doing that. So so um, there's a little bit more analytically in the minor leagues that's that's aiding the pitchers and how they approach things, but um, but undoubtedly it's, it's at a different level in all levels as far as how it's interacting with Orioles right. minor league players. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. And we've seen it pay off for a lot of guys. I've heard that Zach Lowther has benefited yeah. a lot from um, the kind of analytics that have been introduced. Um, one guy I want to talk about in the lineup is Mason McCoy because yeah. you got yeah. him very recently. You've slot, you guys have slotted him into that leadoff spot and he has really produced for you guys. He hit hits balls the other way. Maybe a guy that, you know, Orioles fans obviously know about the Yosniel Diaz and maybe even the guys that they got back, but somebody like Mason McCoy could be on his way up, potentially even <laughs> recently because soon. It's, because it's wild. Well, and the thing is that McCoy was uh, a senior sign. A, a lot of times people look at when a guy's drafted, but yeah. really to be honest, it's more about how much money they're given as okay. a signing bonus as far as how the organization values that right. pick per se. McCoy was not a guy that got much money. He was a sixth round draft choice. Yeah. He was a senior sign out of Iowa. He was looked upon as a player, and this might be saying, you know, going too far in this direction, but he's looked upon as, okay, we, we can sign him under slots, and now we can give more yeah. money to this guy, and this guy's a really good collegiate ball player. But 
he has really excelled this season. This is his second full season, so a lot of times, you know, this is when guys can take a big jump. And the guy that stands out to me in that same regard is Trey Mancini. Yeah. Uh, they're not really similar ball players uh, by any means. Um, they, they play very different games. But Trey Mancini was an eighth-round draft choice in 2013. Mm. He had a very pedestrian 2014 in Delmarva. Yeah. Nobody would be talking about who Trey Mancini was <laughs> after a season in Delmarva. In fact, he didn't even hit a home run at home all year That's in amazing. Delmarva. Played yeah. the whole season there. <laughs> and then in 2015, he took off. Yeah. And it, it was a, it was uh, the first month and a half in Frederick for him, and then the rest of the season in Bowie. And all of a sudden, this was the guy to talk about. So yeah. McCoy, I, I think he's got a very similar path. I mean, he's a sixth-round draft choice that put up, you know, uh, league average numbers in Delmarva last year. Started in Frederick this year. Uh, hit 379 in a month, and, and very quickly was to Bowie, and, and really has given the Bay Sox a lift. Uh, the Bay Sox were 7-23 and 23 before McCoy came, wow. and they've had a winning record since. So it's not just him, obviously, yeah. but, but it, it was a it, you, you can point to that day as far as the team becoming a very different ball club. And as right. far as him as a player, you know, he's a middle infielder. He's played more at short for Bowie. Some people think that in the major leagues he might be more of a second baseman, but he can handle it. And, um, and I guess more importantly is what he does offensively. He's not going to be a big power hitter. But in today's day and age where shifting is becoming so much more prevalent in the game, mm. you know, these pull-dominant power hitters, uh, their value, I mean, obviously yeah. hitting home runs is so valuable in today's game, especially, you know, with how much we're seeing in AAA baseball in the major leagues now. But I think that um, the ability to hit the ball anywhere is going to become bigger and yeah. bigger in the game of baseball. It's and a lost art. Yeah, and McCoy oh, yeah. is that player. I mean, you know, the second baseman goes, out, you know, shades one way, and then he hits it right where they're not. I mean, he's a hit them where they ain't kind of player. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's it's a lot of fun, yeah, a lot of fun nice. to watch and play. Yeah. So McCoy might be in one of those names that Orioles fans are still just kind of getting to know, learning, relatively new. Let's talk about someone that they probably do know already, and Ryan McKenna, because now yeah. with Austin Hayes going moving up to Norfolk, he's probably the biggest name on this team that Orioles fans would recognize. How's his season going so far? What is he showing yeah. um, in 2019? So for McKenna, you know, he, he's definitely, I, I think he's hit a little bit of a wall in Bowie, um, but the reality is he's 22 years old. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that's tough, is that when people get to a certain level, they're expected to exceed that level and move up very quickly. Or progress yeah. at a certain rate. Correct. So Mason McCoy is a new name. People haven't heard of that. But everybody you know, was, has learned, known about McKenna for a while. So why is McCoy hitting this, McKenna's hitting that? The reality is McKenna is more than two years younger than McCoy. Yeah. right? So it, it, as far as their progression, it's not the end of the world that McKenna has had a, a tough start to the year. You know, he is a prototypical leadoff hitter. I think that's what's exciting about McKenna. You know, Cedric Mullins, who was a leadoff hitter coming up through the minor leagues, and I know he's had a tough season, but Cedric's a guy that I think's got a real chance to be uh, a guy with the Orioles long term, uh, mm -hmm. you know, even if it's next year or the year beyond. But, but Mullins has a little bit more power, and Mullins has a little bit more strikeout in his game. I mean, McKenna is a guy that... Um, you know, he's a top-of-the-order kind of hitter, and he's an incredible defensive yeah. outfielder. Right? He's probably, uh, probably take away probably, I mean, he, he's the best center fielder defensively in the system by a long way. Yeah. He's got a good enough arm, he can really go get it. So, um, so McKenna is, is an exciting young prospect. Um, he's also a guy that's from almost a non, not a non-baseball, but you don't see that many guys that come from New Hampshire. Right. <laughs> you know, so so for him, drafted out of high school in New Hampshire, he, he it took him some time to get adjusted to kind of conquer what would be the single A level, and yeah. I think that he's in that adjustment period now, and, and it's going to be a, a lot of fun to watch what he does the second half of the year, because he's been in Bowie for more than 100 games now. You know, he hit in the high 370s in Frederick last year. He's uh -huh. been about a 230 hitter in Bowie for about 100 games. So this is going to be really important for him to take that next step. But even if he's in Bowie to start next year, you know, it, not it's, the end of the world. it's not the end of the yeah, world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Adam, we love catching up with you because you know not just the Bowie Bay Sox inside and out, but you have a good <laughs> grasp of every team within the Orioles organization. Seriously. Obviously, fans have a certain view of where this the major league team is and maybe maybe they'll know where some of the the talent lies in triple-a and a lot of them know that the Orioles obviously have a need for starting pitching and right. pitching in general down the line and in triple-a it seems like they have a lot of guys in terms of the Ryan Mountcastles and now the Austin Hayes's of offensive players that are 
really on the verge of making it to the major leagues. Certainly. And they think, okay, maybe we need to draft more pitchers, and that's <laughs> right. where we need to focus our efforts. But you were talking about earlier, you look at the organization, you have those offensive guys at AAA, but it seems like at AA and even at the lower levels down in Delmarva and Frederick, you have a ton of pitchers that are ready to move up quickly and that could be on a major league team within a few years, right? Uh, certainly, yeah. So that that's that's where it is right now for yeah. the Orioles minor leagues. Uh, you know, even in Delmarva, uh, the the main prospects are are the starting pitchers. Yeah. So when you go to an Orioles minor league game this year, especially the Bowie, Frederick, and Delmarva, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in years past there might be one or two guys in the rotation that that are really interesting. Like for the Bay Sox early last year. It was very different when it was Keegan Aiken Day compared to <laughs> yeah. all the other days, you know, right. early in the season before all the trades. So now, I mean, the Bay Sox have a six-man rotation. And, uh, you know, to be honest, five of the guys to be thought about as, as big prospects, and really the sixth one should be as well. We have a guy named Marcos Molina. Mm -hmm. He's 24 years old. He's having a really strong season. And there's not a reason why he couldn't be a guy that gets to the major leagues. People are like, who is this guy? You know? yeah. So, um, you know, like a Paul Fry type, per yeah. se. So um, it, it's, it's, it's really, really interesting to look at. Mm. Uh, but from low to high, I mean, it, it, I kind of feel badly in a way for some of them because, like, you got a guy like Cody Sedlock, yeah. who has had some injured injury plague seasons in Frederick and has had a really good first half in Frederick. And you'd be thinking, okay, when's he coming to Bowie? But there's just not. A, a spot right now, so right. it's going to be interesting to see in the in the next month or two how things adjust because the AAA rotation has really struggled, and there are a lot of guys putting up good numbers in in starting roles here in Bowie. Yeah, and obviously there's a six man rotation in Bowie, so uh, you could pull up you know a few guys to Norfolk and easily have that that train move per se. Yeah. And, and and this is all without even mentioning that that the two top prospects in the Orioles organization. Uh, I mean, maybe Mount Castle now uh, would be on that level. Uh, Diaz, you know, would be in that conversation. But probably the two pro top prospects are Frederick Lefty, D.L. Hall, yeah. uh, who's got really what people think is high-end left-hand starting pitching stuff, and then right-handed starter in Grayson Rodriguez and Delmarva. I mean, yeah. many would say that those are the two top prospects in the organization. Yeah, absolutely. So the two guys here that I think are drawing a lot of attention are Alex Wells and probably right. Zach Lowther. <laughs> yeah, both lefties. And you, you mentioned earlier, when we preparing for the show, you were talking about how any given night for the Bay Sox, someone can go out and just, whoever's starting, doesn't matter, because the six guys can go out and pitch six shutout innings, whatever. How have uh, Zach Lowther and uh, Alex Wells have been pitching? Because Alex Wells is a former minor league play player, pitcher of the year. That's right, that's right. And, and to be honest, Lowther was the co-pitcher of the year last year, too, yeah. so they're right there. Yeah. Um, so they're, they both are very interesting in that they don't fit a prototype, per se, you know, because, um, you know, velocity is... Um, coveted more so than ever in the game yeah. of baseball right. and you know they're not going to touch 95 miles an hour and Alex Wells is not going to touch 92 or 93 miles an hour you mm -hmm. know he's he's the guy that the majority of his pitches are going to have an eight not a nine to the mm -hmm. start of it but in the same regard you know where you throw a pitch is, is more important than how hard you throw it right and uh, Wells has got a great slow curveball and that probably aids his fastball and um, he's just had a, really a, a remarkable season because, you know, he had an incredible year in Delmarva two years ago when he was the pitcher of the year. Right. He had a 2.3 ERA and he literally didn't walk anybody for it's like, like 10 months. Walks <laughs> yeah, right. And, and, yeah. and then, and then last year he struggled a little bit early on this year, or last year that is in Frederick. Uh, but then when you look at his numbers at the end of the season, he had very solid numbers. Yeah. But they weren't dominant, but they were solid. Well, he's had dominant numbers in Bowie. Yeah. I mean, he's got a sub-2 ERA. <laughs> and um, it, he's just the kind of guy that makes it look very easy. I, he just goes out. He is the fastest working pitcher probably in the Orioles organization. Mm. Uh, he has the old hot potato theory. That. When he gets the ball, I mean, yeah, it's out of his hand. That. So he's the king of the sub two hour and 30 minute game. <laughs> but um, but the, the reality of it is that Wells has allowed, uh, as we talked today, two runs in his last five starts. Wow. And one of those runs was because there was a sun fly ball. You know, leadoff oh. hitter hits a fly ball to right in Portland in his last start, and Diaz lost it in the sun, and it's a leadoff double yeah. on what literally is a fly ball to right field yeah, yeah. that was 10 feet to his right. Yeah. So 
uh, yeah, he's just been dynamic. I mean, he's not going to be an enormous strikeout guy, but in that same regard, that's why he's able to get so deep in the games. Yeah. Because he gets early contact, and that's his game. The reality is, as a hitter, you know you're going to get strikes, so he throws the balls on the corners, and second and third pitch of at-bats, they put the ball in play weekly because they're hitting pitchers' pitches because they know that if they take it, they're in a, they're going to be down nothing in two. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, the ability to throw strikes is, is 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 basically his game. And then for Lowther, he he's been an interesting guy in the fact that you know there's been times in innings this year where he's walked two or three guys in an inning, but he's been really able to to focus and and when he has base runners, he he's able to find that next gear. His strikeout numbers have not been as high as they were in single A, okay. but that's not a surprise because you know this is the biggest jump in the minor leagues to get to double A, and he's not a guy, once again, that's gonna blow the ball by you at 97, 98 miles an hour. But in a very similar way to Keegan Aiken, he's a guy that they talk about having an invisible. You know, like yeah, people yeah. just don't see. Like he'll throw a 91 miles an, mile an hour fastball, and you're like, golly, it's two and zero, oh, and it's a 91 mile an hour fastball over the plate, and and they're just like trying to fight it off. Mm. You know, like well, why aren't they getting better swings on him? So he's another guy. I talked about it with Dean Kramer, but he's another very high spin rate guy, and you just can't go against his numbers because. I mean, we're, we're now in the third professional season for Zach Lowther. Yeah. He's pitched uh, at every level in the Orioles system, and his career ERA is like 2.1. Yeah. I mean, you know, so, so you really can't go against him. Mean, he's just put up results everywhere he's been. Yeah, that reminds me of uh, like a, a John Means with the Orioles yeah. right now because yeah. he is a guy who doesn't throw very hard, and he lives by his changeup, a, right. a, a slow, relatively slow pitch. Is that something where, like you talked about earlier with – the numbers and how the sabermetrics used here have been helping the pitchers more where they're you know we know we can't touch 90 high 90 so we're going to work on a game plan and put the ball where we want to as opposed to putting it fast there is that something yeah, that's kind I, of played I think it's, or it's more playing in, to their strengths it's more even in pitch se- sequencing yeah. okay so it's like the count is one and two and i just work this fastball here and now what am i going to do and i think this is being very general in nature, yeah. but the reality of it is the high fastball okay. is, is where it's at in yeah. the Orioles organization now. You know, So everything used to be down, 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 let's work down, down, down. In fact, we used to have, uh, the pitchers would work and they'd put a string that would be have two stakes in the ground and it yeah. would be yeah. at a knee level and all the guys would do their bullpens trying to hit the string. And now there's a, a much different thing of changing eye levels and okay, we're gonna go soft, you know, down and away, and then and then we're gonna work a, a fastball up. And even with a guy like Alex Wells, where that fastball up might be 90 or 91 miles an hour, you know, and that's the high velo, highest velo I'll have, it, it can still be very effective. So it, it's very interesting to to kind of watch it uh, watch it come together. Uh, but a guy like Lowther, just himself, I, I just think he's got a real a really good feel for pitching. He's a really bright yeah. guy and has, has a great uh, feeling for the game. And um, a thing to think about on the John Means path that for all of these pitchers is um, the fact that uh, when Means came to Bowie, he struggled mightily. Mm-hmm. And he really you know, struggled here for a year and a half before he had a good month in the first month of last year. And the ability to develop your pitches is so important because Means was a guy that didn't have a great changeup when he came to Bowie, and now it's the thing that is yeah. making him the Orioles' best pitcher. Yeah. And the reality of it is that there are so many examples of the opposite. You know, if you look at the top pitcher or two with Bowie early in 2017, and you said which one of these guys is going to be you know, leading the Orioles in ERA in 2019, you wouldn't be guessing right. John Means. So that's the exciting thing. That's pretty cool. And then when you hear people talk about development, yeah. that's what it's all about. Right. These guys aren't finished products. Right, right. Yeah. There is still no shortage of talent. Don't be fooled by the win and loss record at this point. You still got plenty of talent here in Bowie, and uh, we're excited to see them today, the rest of the yes, day. Yes, And then uh, hopefully up at the higher levels as uh, the we go on throughout the year. So, Adam, thank you so much for giving us your incredible wealth of knowledge on this team and on the Orioles organization. We really thank you for joining us. Most definitely. Thank you for having me. Adam Pohl, broadcaster for the Bowie Bay Sox, joining us here on the Masson All Access Podcast.